Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. That's idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea and then... Uh, Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. That's the idea. That's the result you're going to get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. The doctor is now in. And a good Tuesday afternoon to you. Glad to have you with us here. Oh, yes, it is a glorious Tuesday day because we got plenty of basketball to hit on today. College hoops galore. We got the championship game coming your way tonight at the Orleans Arena with the WCC. Oh, and guess who it is? Again, it's Gonzaga. It's St. Mary's. We look forward to that. Both of those teams got there in the semifinal wins last night. We'll uh, dive into that today as well as the Mountain West Conference gets underway tomorrow, and our good friend Kevin Kruger will join the program today. UNLV's head coach as the Rebels will be in action tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, as I like to say, they have the janitor game. Uh, They're playing early against Air Force to kick off the Mountain West Conference tournament, so we'll talk about that today. Dan Butterly joins us from the Big West Conference. They are having their tournament that gets underway tonight at the Dollar Loan Center. I feel very privileged again to be calling the play-by-play over there at the Dollar Loan Center beginning uh, tonight with uh, that tournament going on, the men's and the women's, with the semifinals Friday, the championship on Saturday. So we'll talk to Dan Butterly regarding uh, the Big West out there at the Dollar Loan Center. Trevor Madge will join us today. We talk a little football because we know what today is. It is Franchise Tag Day. That's right. So we'll talk to Trevor regarding that. Lamar Jackson uh, in limbo. But the uh, Ravens uh, put a tag on him, a non-exclusive tag. We'll get into that with you today. And then we talked about the Derek Carr signing yesterday with the New Orleans Saints. So uh, Derek Carr has himself a new home. And Geno Smith is getting paid as well, too. Wasn't Geno Smith just out of the league three, four years ago? And Geno Smith is going to get cashed off by the Seattle Seahawks. So we got that football to talk about today and a whole lot more coming your way. Yeah, so jam-packed show as you know, with a terrible Tuesday. My man Nick Nice is back in the house. He is here today. Marky Mark as well, too. Uh, great to have uh, my good man uh, Nick Nice uh, back with me. Of course, everyone knows uh, if you've been listening to the show a long, long time of our history. So I uh, appreciate him uh, being in here today, taking care of business while Numchuck uh, is out. But uh, it is Tuesday. So without further ado, you know what that means. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. (laughs) It's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right, yes. So let's start off a Terrible Tuesday with Memphis Grizzlies guard Ja Morant. Oh, Ja Morant has been a very busy dude. Ja Morant currently is under investigation by the Colorado police and the NBA for displaying what appeared to be a gun during an Instagram Live video 
going back on March the 4th, only hours after his team lost to the Denver Nuggets at the Ball Arena there in Denver. Now, get this, all right? Moran was at Shotgun Willie's. Nick, are you familiar with Shotgun Willie's? No, I can't say I have. That's not Vegas here, right? (laughs) That's not Vegas. That's in Denver. Now, John Moran was at Shotgun Willie's, which is actually in Glendale, Colorado, an establishment that describes itself as Denver's Metro Premier and most legendary Gentleman's Club. Oh, so you see a couple extra things that you normally wouldn't see. This is true. All right. So... Yeah, John. Eyes up here, gentlemen. Eyes up here, gentlemen. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Now making her way to the stage. It is cinnamon. There we go. All right. Yeah, so John Moran got a little cinnamon. He got a little something else. But anyway, so police are investigating to see if he broke any Colorado gun laws because he was yielding a gun in the strip club. Now, Colorado has an open carry slate. Although there are are some ex, uh, exceptions to the law, including carrying of a firearm on federal property. It is illegal in Colorado to possess a firearm while under the influence of alcohol. I think that's almost anywhere. You would think so, right? Yeah. Now, Except maybe in Texas. Yes. NBA rules prohibit a player from possessing a firearm while on team property or traveling on team business. So in this video that Ja live streamed it's not exactly clear whether he was intoxicated or not but others are shown drinking in this while he has a gun so now moran is away from the team as the nba conducts its investigation and the grizzlies have not given a definite timeline for his return but memphis does play the lakers tonight and uh, currently memphis is on a little bit of a three-game losing streak so my question here is why why? We know two things are not a good thing, right? One, guns is not a good thing, and strip clubs. So trying to trying to combine both guns and a strip club, uh, not, not a good idea for the common folk. But for a guy that is an NBA superstar, a guy that is making millions, why? That is my question. Why? Because uh, he's a young, young buck, and he obviously doesn't give a blank. Yeah, exactly. So we've seen this multiple times for many decades now, where these these young studs of the you know, I mean, he's the face of the NBA right now, basically. Correct. I mean, at, at yeah. such a young age, yeah. but uh, he's he's so as casual. You know me. I've NBA has never really been my big sport, so so the fact that I actually like watching this kid and he's explosive and fun to watch and all that, so he's made such a name for himself for even the casual fan like myself that I think the the he's got so much ego so fast and and it's become so surreal for him and you know it's so typical for these young guys to do that you know flash the gun show them what they got and all that but you know obviously he's not thinking clear headed. Uh, he should obviously have security do that, not him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, 23 years old, uh, a little full of himself, thinks he he owns the world here. The frontal again, part of his head isn't still developed, right? <laughs> right. But again, you know, it's again, 
I get these guys, they want to go have a good time, this, that. But again, when you're at a certain level, okay, when you are looked up to, exactly. when you are carrying the burden of your team, you've got to be a better role model. Plain and simple. Okay, I'm not talking about kids and this and that, but just, again, this guy doesn't have a clue, okay? He went to Murray State. When he came out, and I remember seeing him, you know, on draft night, I'm going, this guy's dumb as a box of rocks. And he continues to show that he's dumb as a box of rocks. And the Memphis Grizzlies continue to let this guy get away with this nonsense. He obviously has a bunch of yes men around him. Uh, well, speaking of which, okay, which takes us to story number two. You want a little bit more jaw? Jaw. I'll give you some more jaw, okay? So, yeah, he's yielding the gun. He's at a strip club. He thinks he's invincible. But now police are investigating more jaw in a separate case of threatening a mall cop and assaulting a teenager last July that basically has jaw still in the news here and no charges have been uh, given to him uh, thrown down in either one. Now, check this out. There was a fight with a 17-year-old boy at jaw Morant's Memphis home Going back to last summer, uh, this was actually reported in January, but now the story is broke. So now that's why it's getting some legs now. But that report centered on a civil lawsuit filed by the teenager's mother, but the criminal investigation was not public until the Washington Post reported. Morant told police that he was having a pickup basketball game at his house, and he had about eight or nine people over the house. Well, the teenager threw a basketball at the head of John Morant during the pickup game. Well, you definitely don't do that. Yeah. Promoting, or prompting, I should say, Jaw to retaliate. So Jaw says, I swung first. He goes, I was checking the ball. I, was, I wasn't ready for, for the check, and this guy hit me in the face. All right? So the ball, to me, was the first hit. I retaliated. Oh, I had the second hit. You know what that reminds me of? White men can't jump. Remember when he throw it? Kept check, 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 no. duck, 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 yeah, back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the teenager told police that he was checking the ball as part of the pickup game when it slipped through Morant's hands and hit him in the face. Now the kid said Morant and one of Morant's friends responded with nearly two dozen punches. Of course, to the teenager. <laughs> yeah. So after the fight, should be a raider. The kid <laughs> said Morant went into his house and came out. But guess what? Uh, not a knife. A gun. There you go. Came out with a gun. You definitely don't bring a knife to an NBA fight. <laughs> this is true. Meanwhile, Ja said the teenager left his house shouting, I'm going to come back and light this place up like fireworks. Well, that's always the tough guy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to come back and get my big brother. Yeah. So now prosecutors reviewed this case, but determined eh, there wasn't enough evidence to pursue charges. So that's that. All right. But there's more. All right. All right. All right. Now the teenager th th threw the ball at me. So he said he had to retaliate. That was the first punch. Okay, he had to retaliate. It wasn't All a right. punch, but that was the first right. punch. Then he retaliates with punching a kid. All right. But here's my thing. Why is this guy an NBA all-star? Multi-millionaire playing a pickup game with 16 and 17-year-old kids. Because he is a kid. <laughs> He's not that much older than them. So, yeah, why the pickup game? Again, hold yourself to a higher standard. Uh, treat people right and, and be careful. You're going to lose your temper. Things are going to come back and haunt you. All right? 
He See, obviously doesn't take a few seconds to think about what he's going to say or do. So you got strip club problems. You got pickup game problems. You want more jaw? Jaw. I'll give you more jaw. Jaw. All right. Here's another story with Jaw. Four days earlier to the pickup game, yes. police also investigated him for an incident at a Memphis mall. The mall cop named Paul Blart, I believe, right, <laughs> told police that after a shouting match with Morant and his friends, Morant came back to the local mall with a group, as many as nine people in his posse, after his mother had a dispute at the Foot Locker store about some shoes. Wait, who's mom? Jaws, Jaws mom. mom. Yeah. yeah we don't so, so don't he, mess with mom. So he came back, you know, to say, listen, man, you treat moms wrong. Yeah. You know, I got wrong pair of shoes, maybe overcharged her. Something, you know, happened there. I'm sorry, I said Foot Locker, finish line. I want to get it right. Disrespected yeah. mama. Yes. Yeah. So the director of the mall security uh, met with the group, Jaws posse and asked him to leave the parking lot. But after police arrived, the situation escalated with one member of Jaws' gang and his entourage allegedly pushing the security guard in the head. Morant came back and said this, let me find out what time he gets off. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me when I first moved here to Vegas, I got into it with the ta- uh, taxi guy and I'm like, you know what? I get off at four o'clock. Come back here. Yeah. <laughs> so Jaws calling out Paul Blart. Yeah. Calling him out. Yeah. Bad movie, by the way, isn't it? I, it's probably one of your personal I, favorites, though. No, well, when it comes to security guard movies, yeah. observe and report. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. Seth Not Rogen. Paul Blart. Seth Rogen. That's a good one. <laughs> I remember that. That's a better one. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So Jaw is saying, let me find out when he gets off. Well, so, that's because, of, of, of course, the security guard is a subspecies <laughs> to Jaw's, you know, he's right? upper echelon, right. demigod type right. of status. Right. And, of course, he can yeah. easily just take this guy out, right. you know. So that's three Jaws. There's another. Want more jaw? Four? I got more jaw. Yeah, I'm sure you I have a lot. I got four jaw. Go back to eighth grade. I got four jaw. No, no. This is recent. Here we go. This is during the course of this season. The Memphis players, uh, Memphis is playing actually Indiana, all right, playing the Pacers. After the game, had a little bit of a confrontation, jaw did with the Pacer players. Uh, but this incident sparked by... Jaw's friend, Devante Pack, who was just hanging out watching the game, he decided to insert himself into the fracas after the game. So he walked onto the court and was yelling at Indiana Pacer players. Now, Pack was also named as a defendant and guess what? The teenager lawsuit. Oh. He was at the pickup game. Uh-oh. So Pack is part of the Pack. Plot twist. Uh, there you go. Alright, and he was actually banned from the Memphis Arena for one year for this. Uh... So anyway, Pack and five other guys confronted the Pacers outside of the arena, and Jaw and Pack got into an SUV and slowly drove past the Pacers team bus. Now I'm sure you've been involved in this before, right? Because you know SUV approaches. Was Jaw do? We gonna get you? Pulls out the red taser light. Red taser light. Yeah, the the red maybe not the taser light. The red the the red. Oh, the, light. oh, the, like the, what do you call the, the laser? The laser. The laser on the gun. The laser on the gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, to show you like, hey, I've got a gun in here. There you go. Got it. There got you it, go. Got it, got it, got it, there got you go. All yeah. right. So the uh, patient security guard says that is one hundred percent a gun, and Jaw just wanted to show the red. Show the laser. You should just show the, the laser. Pacers. Just show the laser. You don't yeah. have to have the gun. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and of course, with all this, the Grizzlies have refused comment, nor has the NBA uh, shed any discipline on Jaw 
for any of these incidents. And you know what Jaw says about all this? Here's the quote. The media unfairly targets the Grizzlies. Targets, no pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what would be really good is if these young kids actually really wanted to make a statement. He pulled up against a bus, right? And he pulled out a laser. He should have pulled out a a replica bazooka or something like that. You know what I mean? A replica bazooka. Yeah, don't get a real bazooka. I I don't know if Jock can get his hands on one of those. but It sounds like he can get his hands on anything. Yeah. You know. But uh, the bottom line is, what a moron. Threatening players. Threatening kids. A 17-year-old? Yeah. Mall cops. Strip club strip, personnel strip club. and shoe store employees. How's that for a resume? That uh, that's that's and, NBA material right there. And this is the future of the NBA. This is your future. He could also but, be a Raider. But nothing, sorry, nothing has happened to this clown. No, nothing. of course not. Why they would just, he? He's he's the face of the NBA. They just continue letting it happen. All right, there you go. That's plenty of jaw for you. Let's get a little louder on that one. All right, you want to redo it? All right, take two. Okay. No, oh, that's the wrong one. <sighs> There, I'm learning the pots. There you, there you go. All right, you and your pots. Uh, stay away from the plants. Hey, All right, Major League Baseball spring training. We love that, don't we? Did it start? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. We're about a week and a half into this. Oh. All right. Now, we know that spring training is pretty goofy. All right, we see things that you normally don't see in spring training. Like, one of my favorites is players or pitchers running on the warning track during the course of the game. You see that because, oh, they, they need to get their run in or they just got done throwing like two-thirds of an inning. I got to go get my jaw again. So you see that kind of stuff, right? Well, last weekend, here's a little different one for you. Pirates are playing the Orioles, right? All right, the Pirates are leading, follow me here, seven to four, all right? It's the top of the ninth inning, all right? Ground ball, shortstop throws to first, ball game, game's over, all right? Teams walk off the field, Shake their hands. That's about it. Umpires leave. Then Derek Sheldon, the manager of the Pirates, calls over Brendan Hyde, the Baltimore Orioles manager, and says, hey, let's let's have a little talk. Okay, sure, no problem. Let's play another half inning. I know the game's over, but let's play another half inning. I, 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 my guys would kind of like to bat. That'd be okay? Um, sure, spring training. Let's play another half inning. Players go out and take the field, right? All right? Pirates are going to bat, even though they've already won the game. They're going to get a chance to bat some more. Orioles get to throw another pitcher out there, right? So the umpires see what's going on. Well, well time. Uh, fellas, this game's over. There's got to be a player association rule against that. <laughs> this thing this thing is over, right? So the umpires stop, and they decide to chat up a little bit. They said, uh, what are they doing? Well, they want to go play. Umpires say, Forget this. We're out of here. Our game's over. We got paid for the day. No, we're not, we're, we're not staying. So the coaches say, "Fine, we're going to play anyway." So they play a half. They play a half inning. Yeah, with no umpires. So who's the umpire? The coach standing behind the mound, like you were in little league. <laughs> Pretty good, right? No, they said catcher. Your home plate. Oh, yeah. You call balls and strikes. Non-biased. Honor system. Non non biased. Oh, yeah, honor system. Plain and simple. So they went. They finish this game. Catcher calls balls and strikes. The announcers who are broadcasting this game have no idea what's going on. They go, looks like we're going to continue to play ball. So they're like calling balls and strikes too, having some fun with this. But this is spring training. This is spring training. You get nonsense like this. We've seen 
uh, managers agreed to like shorten games. You know, you do split squad stuff. Like, okay, you're blowing us out. Let, let, let's let's call it a day. Forget these fans that maybe only come to maybe one spring training game a year. Let's let's stop in the fifth or the sixth inning. Well, they got a little bonus baseball this time, and the umpire said, "We're not having any part of it. You guys want to play? Go ahead." I would be in the same way as the umpire. Yeah. What, why do, what, what am I doing here? No, I'm good. You're, Bye. Yeah. I got paid. After all, you do play a game a day for like 30 days during spring training. Especially the home but, plate umpire. But right. You know, there you go. So Bending over and all that. There you go. So if you're going to spring training, you never know what you may find. All right. Uh, the NFL all right, continues to milk every opportunity they possibly can. Well, guess what's going to take place this year, my friend? I'm sure you guys are going to be very, very happy to hear this. All right? Now, as you know, we've got a full slate of games on Sunday. All right? We've got Monday Night Football, which we can tolerate. We love all that, right? And then, you know, we've got Thursday Night Football. Now, the games on Thursday Night Football are pretty pathetic. Okay? And I could do without Thursday Night Football. But... Amazon Prime is back in control, and you know what they decided? They coaxed the NFL into having another game. Wait, what? We're going to have two Thursday night games oh, now? No, 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 no. Oh, we're going to have a we're Wednesday. Gonna, no, 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 no. We're going to have a Friday? We're going to have a Black Friday game. A Black Friday game? Black Friday game. You know Black Friday? No, I know. The day it's after the day Thanksgiving, after, right? No, I know, I know, of so, course. But I'm like, so now we have Thanksgiving, we have three games. We're going to have Black Friday, yeah, we have yeah, a, a game. Yeah. And then we're going to have games on Sunday. And then Sunday games. Yeah, there you go. Now, here now the 2023 season Milk it. will mark for the first time. Yes. The NFL has scheduled a game on the day after Thanksgiving. On the moon. It'll be a 12 noon Pacific start All right, on November 24th. All right. Now, the opponents will be announced later. Here's the quote uh, from Prime Video President Jay Marine. It's such an unusual day because so many people are off work. So it's really a unique opportunity to expose Exploit. all fans to our broadcast. Yeah, I like that. Exploit, yeah. not expose. Yeah. Because how many of those players are like, sweet, yes, <laughs> two, two uh, days we don't get to rest. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, so, and during the holiday time. Now, the additional game will now give Prime Video 16 regular season games for the 2023 season because they've forced that down our throat now, as you know, with this Thursday night football, because you can't just find it anywhere. Remember Fox used to broadcast it, or there used to be a rotation with CBS or the NFL Network? Yeah, yeah. Well, now Prime owns Thursday nights. Now they're going to own Black Friday. I, I was... I'm I'm back and forth on Prime having it honestly because it's nice when it's on your phone and you're driving and you're out and about and it's cool. See, you're more of a streamer phone. guy than I am. I I I. I I don't mess with my TV. No, and I get it, but see, you that's where that's where I'm a purist too, because I grew up. I'm I'm not that young. I'm yeah. I'm not that old, yeah. so I'm a, I'm like a tweener. So you know, I'm a streamer tweener. Yeah. So I do use my iPad a lot, and and especially with the job, and you're out and about, kids, whatever, you're at the baseball field, and you can watch the game on your phone. That's cool, but again, it's so limiting and restrictive, like right. you said. That you can't get the game on your HD rabbit ears like yeah. you used to be able to for free on Fox or something like that. Right. So, that's what I'm saying. You know, it, it, it's it, the the NFL is such a powerhouse that it's not like the NHL. Remember when the NHL way back in the day they 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 couldn't have come to terms with ESPN and they went to Spike TV. Correct. And and it just like yeah. whatever happened to the NHL. The NHL took a huge drop off in my opinion from that point. Mm -hmm. uh, the NH the NFL doesn't have that problem. Right. They're 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 every, everybody's gonna watch. It's crack. So they're gonna. It doesn't matter what platform they're on. People are gonna go to it. But we have seen the Thursday night. Uh, games 
dip in ratings because it's not available to the general public. I'm sure more people are going to jump on eventually, yeah. but uh, you know, Prime Prime is going to make their money. They yeah. don't care who's available; they're going to make their money. Just yeah. another avenue for. I mean, think about that. That's crazy, though. Uh, what's what's who's the guy who started it all? Uh, Be- Bezos, right? He's like one of the richest guys in the world, right? He started all of that off that Kindle, the reading book. And now here we are. He owns part of the NFL. Basically. Exactly. What, what He does. What? Exactly. That's weird. Yeah. I don't want to see any games on any streaming network myself. I don't want no Prime. I don't want Amazon. I don't want Peacock. I don't want any of it. Quit, quit messing with my TV. Put it on Discovery Channel Plus. I don't want to see it. That's it. I'd rather watch Food Network. <laughs> All right. There's some terrible Tuesday takes for you. If you got some, hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21. All right. We come back. We talk a little UNLV basketball. The Rebels having a little bit of a down season, but they can make amends as basically everybody starts 0-0 for the most part. And the Mountain West Conference Tournament will start tomorrow. <laughs> Logic and insanity mixed into a perfect prescription from the Dr. T.C. Martin. Oh, yes. Don't forget our Friday extravaganza at the Westgate Las Vegas. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we love our Fridays. Come on by. See the show live 2 to 4 p.m. And don't forget next week. Thursday and Friday, we will be at the Westgate Las Vegas inside the world-famous Superbook, and it will be the opening of March Madness. Uh, to get your tickets for the International Theater. It is Hoop Central on Thursday and Friday. And again, we'll be broadcasting the show live from the Superbook, but all the games will be there in the sportsbook as well as inside the International Theater, the 4K video wall. Everything there for you, betting stations, food, beverage, uh, just a fantastic atmosphere. So we'll be hanging out there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Get your tickets at Ticketmaster.com for Hoop Central inside the Westgate of Las Vegas. All right. It is March Madness, as we know. Um, having a great time the last uh, couple nights over at the WCC tournament. They get ready for the final tonight with Gonzaga and St. Mary's in the Mount West. We'll get ready to kick it off at the Thomas and Mack Center tomorrow. And our good friend, Kevin Kruger, the head coach of UNLV, has got the Rebels ready to go as they will take on Air Force tomorrow afternoon. Kevin, what's going on, my man? Not too much. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. It's all right. So let's go back and talk about uh, Saturday's game in Reno. You guys defeated the Wolfpack 69-67 in overtime. Uh, great performance, great comeback. That had to feel good. It feels good, Kevin, I know, to get a win anytime, but it has to really feel good against the arch rival, the nemesis, as we say Reno, and especially to go up there and come home with a W. Oh, without a doubt. I think, uh, you know, as, as much as anything, you know, when you're in a, in those games, you know, toward the end of the regular season, get ready for conference tournament, you really, you want to play well. You want to be in, have a good rhythm, be in tune, uh, you know, play for each other. And I think, uh, that's what the guys did. Gave us a chance to win a, a tough road game. And, and because of all of it, uh, came out on top. So you got out to a great start. You guys led 13 nothing. Uh, Harkless was on fire. You guys, uh, great job of sharing the ball. Uh, then Nevada came back a little bit and was nip and tuck all the way through. Talk about the importance of giving, getting out to that hot start because we know it was a sellout cr- crowd there at Lawler, but, uh, you guys really silenced them right, right from the beginning. Yeah. It was, I mean, anytime, of course, on the road, you want to make sure to get off to a good start. And, uh, 
you know, that start was, we couldn't have really had any or planned anything better. Um, but you know, it's, I think, I think a lot of time the, the, the start or initial run to a game can, can maybe be blown a little out of proportion just because there's so many ups and downs and, and scoring runs. But, uh, this one I just thought was a little different. We made him take a timeout, uh, that, you know, as a head coach, you never want to take that or that first time out. You want to save it as long as you can in the first half. So, uh, to make him use that timeout, uh, it, it was really a, it was kind of the, kind of the icing on the cake, if you will, for the, for the start to the game. Mm-hmm. We talked about playing with uh, EJ Harkless uh, down the stretch there as he fouled out. We know what a pivotal, you know, uh, component he is uh, for you guys, especially offensively. Uh, talk a little bit about you know having to to rally a little bit and, and how to get the the victory done there in overtime with him on the bench. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there's a number of factors or stats that came about in that game that if you looked at on paper going into it, you probably uh, wonder how the guys are going to get it done, but uh, you know, and EJ fouling out with a couple minutes left, and then even going into overtime, or, is uh, is probably one of those stats. But uh, guys battled. You know, the, we had guys in foul trouble. Obviously, Keyshawn went out early. Uh, Cam Burris stepped in, had a huge, huge plays and uh, and huge minutes where um, he, he had great contributions. Uh, and of course, Jackie. Uh, had a great uh, finish in overtime, and uh, you can really just go down the list. I mean, had 13 rebounds. Uh, Shane guarded uh, Blackshear and and really made him work for everything he got. So, uh, and then of course the bigs kind of do what they've done in in big games where they rebound it, guard guard really well, and uh, been a threat at the rim. Yeah, you know, speaking of the rebounds, always uh, key to any game, any victory. Uh, yeah, rebound him forty-four to thirty-nine, but you got him on the offensive glass. Uh, you doubled him up there, fourteen to seven. Talk about the tenacity there, and has that been a, a kind of a point of emphasis for you to have your guys, you know, hit the offensive glass? Without a doubt, I think you know when we're aggressive and we're we're playing kind of loose and having fun, attacking the glass, getting back, uh, you're kind of doing multiple things, multiple effort things. Uh, we, we have good results. And, uh, you know, if you go into especially the tough road games that, that we were able to win this year, uh, we were really active on the glass, uh, but at the same time, not giving up anything in transition. And, and when you can do both of those things, uh, I think you just, you give yourself extra possessions and you give yourself more of an opportunity to win. You know, uh, Reno was two for 12 from beyond the three point arc. Uh, how much of that are you, are you crediting the defense for, or just because uh, it didn't seem like they had a whole bunch of open looks? No, I thought the guys just did a great job, even in the prep uh, leading up to it, of of knowing who to who you know how we wanted to guard certain actions and certain guys specifically. Of course, Lucas is is an in- incredible threat uh, for Reno and can really get going. So, uh, you know, guys did a good job on limiting his looks and his, his clear open looks. Um, but at the same time, you know, keeping Blackshear from creating was a huge priority. And Shane and Lou, um, EJ guarded him for a little bit. Those guys did a really good job of just not allowing Reno to get in the paint, uh, driving kick and uh, kind of get each other wide open looks as much as possible. All right. Kevin Kruger joins us talking about UNLV's victory on the road in Reno on Saturday, 69 67 overtime win for the Rebels. We've talked before about the rivalry and, you know, with 
so many new players coming through the program and the transfer portal that they may not fully understand the rivalry, especially when you've got, you know, uh, kids that didn't grow up from around here. They're not familiar with it. You got, you know, uh, transfers from Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, wherever it may be. Have they gotten more of a sense after now, say, these two games or for the guys that were here last year for playing Reno two times last year, now two times this year, maybe even a third time in, in the tournament? And what what is that like as far as them, you know, understanding it and then leaving there with a victory and a season sweep for you guys? I think they definitely understand it just because, you know, you don't, Rivalries, I think, are something, even if you step on any campus in the country, uh, you know, you, it doesn't take too long to figure out who the rival is. And, uh, even if you're not overly familiar with, you know, uh, where you're, where you're going. And, and Reno's kind of that case here where, you know, the guys know it, they hear about it. Um, of course, you know, football season leading up to the basketball season, it's, it's talked about, um, from time to time, of course, more than any other, uh, regular season or conference opponent. So I think, and then they all had rivals. If 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 somebody was at a school or one school before for two years or four years or whatever it may be, you know they have a rival and they understand what rivalry games are and and what they mean to the to the school and the fan base and the and the local community. So I think even though uh, you know it may not be entrenched in years, there may not have been a fight in a year years past or two years that kind of intensifies the rivalry for the guys on the roster. You still understand who the the team that the the school and the community wants to beat the most. What was that atmosphere like there Saturday, Kevin? And we know it was a packed house, and those fans were were amped up. Uh, and again, because it is UNLV, uh, does do you hear some ugly stuff? And what uh, give us give us kind of what, what that's like, especially in a hostile environment, especially in Reno. Oh, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. I mean, it, like you said, it was sold out. It was rocking. You know, student section filled up uh, when the doors opened. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it's a rivalry, you know, things can get a little nastier and a little, uh, a little more, uh, you know, not for TV uh, repeated <laughs> words and phrases. But uh, you know, as do most rivalries, and even when they come here, I'm sure they say the same thing about our fan base. But. Uh, no, it was it was a great atmosphere. You, we could hear the students chanting at our guys and at, and for their guys, uh, you know, pretty much as soon as the doors were open. So it was a fun environment to be in uh, for the guys to play in, and uh, and uh, it's it, it always makes for a kind of a fun atmosphere and a fun game up there. Were any of those fans like questioning your manhood or anything, or did 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 you hear anything like that? Uh, I'm sure they come after you know you just as much as those players, right? I mean, especially your pace in the sidelines, they're right on top of you there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, coaches are low hanging fruit. You yeah, know, we, we stand right there on the sideline, and they're they're not. They sit pretty much right behind the the scores table. So, um, yeah, they they get pretty opinionated and uh, and like to share that. But uh, I think that's also one of the things that builds towards rivalries is, uh, you know, when you go other places, you hear it you know, from time to time. Not always, but it's got a little different tone to it uh, in a rivalry game. All right, you guys get ready for the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Uh, we know that this isn't where you want to be as far as a seating and playing on Wednesday. Uh, you're facing Air Force. Uh, talk to me about the the mindset and the conversations that you've had with the guys uh, regarding this and, and where your seat is and what's what. how's everybody feeling right now? Oh, I think you guys feel good. I mean, coming off Saturday's win was, was great for us in terms of morale and, and prep. 
But, uh, you know, honestly, we haven't talked about anything other than that, anything other than getting ready for Air Force, um, what we could have done better in the Reno game, of course, from film. And uh, But anything past that, it hasn't been discussed. Uh, you know, I hope the guys aren't discussing it when we're not around, but when we're around, it's certainly there's nothing that's being talked about or, or thought about other than what we have to do to beat Air Force. It is a home court advantage for you in the sense that you're playing in your own building, but uh, it's not necessarily the case, right? I mean, you don't get to to be in your own locker room uh, for a lot of these games, right? It really depends on on seating. And, and talk a little bit about how that is different than just a traditional regular home game during the course of the regular season. Yeah, there are, there are a few differences. Uh, you know, the, the just kind of the layout of the court and the and the stands. Uh, and then of course, and then the locker room, uh, you know, are, are changed up. We don't, we don't use the home locker room. So while it's the same venue and, uh, you know, the same arena that we've gone to and played in, uh, it, there are a few things that the conference has done to, uh, I think, to as much as possible, try to make it, even though it is our home arena, as little of a home court feel as possible. How weird is that having to be on the other side bench wise? Because and when I I see UNLV play during the course of the tournament, I look over and go, "Oh wait a minute, they're not on their home bench, or they're on the visitors' bench." That's got to be a little bit strange for you. Oh, it's a little bit different. I mean, in a different locker room, but in the same building, and then like you said, different bench, but uh, in the same building because you do it when you play the home games. You do it whatever it is twenty times throughout the year, and then so it's 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 a little different. But at the same time, uh, it is in our home building, and uh, you know the. We we just got to kind of do a better job, not only of protecting the Thomas Mack during the regular season, but then uh, you know using this more to our, our our advantage if possible in the tournament. All right, so Air Force uh, coming up tomorrow. We remember when you played them about a week and a half or so ago. Uh, it was a 54-53 victory. Uh, last second uh, shot that got you the victory there, and now you got to go at them again. To, uh, what can you take away? from that game, Kevin, as you prep for this one? Well, I think in the, the guys did a really good job preparing for him last time, and I thought defensively it showed. I thought we did a really good job guarding him um, and, and really competing uh, to force tough shots and, and through play through the shot clock. Because, uh, obviously, you know, as you know, Air Force will, is as patient as anybody you'll play. And and then uh, just tighten some things up offensively and uh, and just have a better – a better intent offensively about getting better shots each time down the floor. But uh, I think that we can take some positives from it because uh, at the end of the day, guys did what they needed to do to get a win. And, uh, you know, that that's what's really most important. And the thing about it is that you played fairly recently on that exact same floor. So it's probably better to have played them, you know, two games ago than, say, going back to maybe the beginning of January, right? Yeah, I mean, Air Force is a, such a unique uh preparation because of their style and uh you know nobody passes and cuts and and plays for each other uh, better than air force and so uh, yeah I, I hopefully playing them a little more on the recent side of the schedule than than earlier in the in the conference schedule uh, hopefully it's a little fresher on our brain and it's a little uh there's there's certain things from film and from uh from the night that that we can remember and, and apply and and that way, because uh, like I said, it's it's not you can't simulate it. You know, the guy you can't you can tell the guys it's going to be faster. They're going to cut. They're going to throw this. They're going to throw that. But until you you go against them, 
you really don't see it at the same pace or, or how they set cuts up and how they read off each other. So uh, hopefully, you know, playing them, like you said, a week and a half or so ago is uh, becomes an advantage. Now, in situations like this, is this a, a good time for you to, to, to lace them up in practice and, uh, and start, uh, you know, get on the floor with, with your guys and emulating the, the Air Force offense there? The old Kevin Kruger come out here? I mean, come on, you're a good cutter. You're a good slasher, ball handler back in the day. No, I, I wish I, if I could move well enough to give these guys a look, maybe I'd think about it. But, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the days of agility as limited as they were are, are far from, <laughs> far, far in the past. See, I thought this would be good though for you, Kevin, because the pace is a little bit slower for you. I'm not asking you like to, to, to get up and down, you know, like you're playing Arkansas or anything like that. You know, that this would be, this would be good for you to get back out there because, you know, you're playing a half court game. Well, that's true, but you know the trainer's there for the players, so so he doesn't need to be there for me. <laughs> oh, Kevin Kruger joins us. The Rebels in action tomorrow afternoon as the Rebels are the uh, seven seed facing the uh, ten seed Air Force. One thirty tip off tomorrow at the Thomas and Mack Center. I know you're going to say it doesn't matter, whatever, but uh, playing a Wednesday afternoon game, 1.30 in the afternoon, uh, not used to playing 1.30 uh, games. I mean, maybe once in a while you'll play a 1 o'clock game on a, on a Saturday. So do you uh, approach that, you know, from a mental standpoint with the guys? you do something different, or how do you approach that? Well, it changes a little bit because, you, like you said, most of our games are at night. Um, so it changes a little bit of just the, the shoot around or what time you eat or how many times you eat before a game. Uh, but, uh, like you said, we played a handful of games on Saturday earlier in the day. So, um, hopefully those could prepare us, uh, uh, well for tomorrow, even though, you know, like you said, it is a Wednesday, which is a little bit different. How do you handle the, the tournament for format? Because you know that you don't want to get caught looking ahead. But really, you kind of have to, don't you? Especially probably with your assistant coaches, because you got to look at the next potential opponent, and then you have that quick turnaround, knowing you're going to be playing the very next day against uh, an opponent, even though it's a league opponent. You figure, okay, we got plenty of, of you know, uh, film tape, whatever you want to call on them. But still, you might not have seen them in in quite some time, and then having to adjust from one style like Air Air Force to you know somebody like a Boise State. So, how do you approach that? I really do think you just, you really just cannot look ahead. Um, it's just, you've just got to figure it out and move on once you get the win. And once you move ahead, once you're, once you're fully knowing who you're going to play, what time, uh, then you just move on towards that one. But, um, the one thing I think is if for teams that have made runs in, in conference tournaments, whether it be three days, four days, or even some of the bigger conferences that have five days, uh, I, I, I just wouldn't believe you if you said they had already mapped out their their road to how they were going to win it. I think they just they just go out there, they get as ready as they possibly can for their opponent in the time they have, and then uh, when the ball goes up, they, they just go play. What have you learned about your team now as you get ready for this Mountain West Conference <laughs> tournament, and then knowing that could be you know the uh, the finality of it all. Uh, Going back and and just say the progression of this season for you. Uh, just talk about where your team is now compared to you know where they were a couple months ago. Yeah, I think they they've shown that you know they're still going to fight, um, still going to compete. You know, had a great start uh, to the season, had some hit some adversity and and uh, had to shuffle some things around and 
and uh, kind of I came out on the wrong side of a couple of close games, but um, then have bounced back and had some some really big uh, road wins, especially, and then even in the Air Force game had a had not, every opportunity that that was laid out in front of them to to lay down or quit or just kind of take it as a loss, but but found a way to win it. So uh, you know, I think uh, as much as anything, uh, I'm excited that uh, this is a group I, I believe is going to go out and just fight like crazy. All right, final thing here for you, Kevin. When we look at uh, the the field here, and we have talked all year long about that, you can make a case for maybe you know four or five different teams for you know winning this tournament, and everyone has a little bit different style. Um, and like yourself, I mean, you guys have had you you guys have have gone through some peaks and valleys. I mean, you look at some of the teams here, um, you know, like where New Mexico was earlier in the season, and they kind of slid back a little bit. But then you get a team like Utah State as you you know face them firsthand last week about how they're playing. Just give us a quick synopsis of of a couple of the teams here and 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 how some of these teams are are, are playing and what you're looking forward to seeing here in the next four or five days. Well, I think the the conference as a whole, I don't know if you could even make an argument that there's ever been a better year from top to bottom. Um, you know, no team in the outside of the two to, or in the bottom past 200 in the net. Um, you know, we, there's, there's multiple quad one games, uh, quad one opportunities in the, in the Mountain West this year and multiple, not just one team at, at one venue here or there or whatnot. Um, so I think uh, what you've seen is, throughout the course of the season, especially in the Mountain West, is the strength of the Mountain West as a whole. So uh, I'm really, you know, I think there's just a lot of excitement and anticipation built up for this, for this tournament because I think as, as much as any year, you know, it's, uh, you know, you always hear coaches talk about the seeds don't matter, it's matchups. Mm-hmm. Now, see, you know, I'd rather be, you'd rather be this seed and play this style than that seed versus this style. And, and I think uh, the Mountain West this year as a whole, and to some extent last year, but even not as much, is uh, is really holding that true to form. So I'm really just excited to see, you know, the the, the good games that I think are, are going to be throughout, um, not just Wednesday, but throughout the uh, the entire tournament. What is your point of emphasis that you want to hammer in to your guys before they hit the floor for this first game, and then carry it over to hopefully the next game and the next game? What what is the the, the the top of your your dry erase board, the top that you want to hammer home, just Air Force, mm-hmm. Air Force, Air Force, Air Force. There's, there, you know, let the the, the coaches that have the scouts. If, if we move on, they they'll worry about you know what whatever needs to be worried about other than than Air Force. All right. All right. We know you got your hands full. Appreciate the time. Have you got a chance to, uh, see, uh, Lindy and the Lady Rebels, uh, during the, their first game? Do you plan on maybe, uh, seeing them here in the next uh, day or two? Of course. Of yeah. course. Love to stop by and, uh, you know, show our support as always. And, uh, but they're, they're rolling. Lindy's got it rolling. She's doing an unbelievable job and yeah. earned another award. Um, and, uh, much deserved, of course. And, uh, we're excited for them to, bring home another Mountain West championship. That's great. Uh, Lady Rebels in action again uh, tonight at 5 o'clock against San Diego State. And then, of course, uh, the men tomorrow, they open the tournament play uh, against Air Force at 1.30. Kevin, good luck to you, my friend. Uh, Looking forward to hopefully a good run here through the tournament. Appreciate the time as always. All right, thank you. There is Kevin Kruger, the head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels. Uh, Tomorrow, it starts for them. I know they're not... they're excited about playing, but when you have a Wednesday afternoon game, you figured, hey, this 
we weren't going to be there. You figure you're going to have a bye. You'd be playing on Thursday. You really don't like to have that Wednesday game. But if there is a good sign, you're playing against a team that you should beat, that you just beat. It's a different style. And if you haven't seen Air Force play, I mean, it's the Princeton offense. Joe Scott does a fantastic job as their head coach. But it is a slow, methodical pace, and not many teams play as slow uh, or as precise as Air Force. I mean, again, if you if you jump on that team early and you can stretch out a lead, uh, you could put them away. But if you let this team hang around, uh, they're going to be there. And that's exactly what took place last week when the Rebels played Air Force. I mean, Air Force had a lead with under you know eight seconds to go, and. They, uh, you know, Jackie Johnson picked off a pass, uh, got it to Keyshawn Gilbert. Uh, then, you know, then you had the, you had the follow up, uh, you know, you know, put back. And there you go. The Rebels ended up uh, escaping with a 54 53 victory. So tournament basketball is a whole different beast. It's a whole different beast. When you get out there, it's like, okay, the finality of it all, especially when you have a team like UNLV where they're at. I mean, they're 18 and 12 right now. There isn't going to be any, any postseason, you know, play. I mean, back in the day, you had a team that was 18 and 12. You think, oh, okay, maybe, you know, could slide in the NCAA tournament, could slide into the NIT or, or get into a, a postseason, but probably not the case because now with the, ex, the expanded uh, schedules where, you know, you're playing, you know, 35 games during the course of a season, uh, when you don't have 20 victories, you're not going to be playing in the postseason. They got a seven seed. I know for a lot of fans out there, you figured this is a little bit of a disappointment. And I could see where fans are going with that because this is a team that started off 10 and 0. Think about that. They started off 10 and 0 and they've only won eight times, you know, in the next 22 games. I mean, they have struggled and they've struggled in conference. They got swept by San Jose State. All right. They got swept by Utah State, which is, Nothing to be ashamed about, but they did get a sweep of uh, their rival, uh, UNR, uh, you know, winning uh, two games against them. That's good. But we've seen UNLV be very, very inconsistent thus far uh, as they head into the tournament. So a lot of fans, as we know, uh, they still think it's 1990 <laughs> or you want to go a little bit more recent. They think, you know, it's, it's 2012 or 2013 and 2008, 2009 when the Rebels were kind of a lock to get to the NCAA tournament, but they have not been to the NCAA tournament since 2013, since Dave Rice's, um, one of his final seasons here at uh, UNLV. So very, very sad. You know, I've been here for 23 years now, roughly. And when I first moved here, we were going to the Sweet 16. And there's the norm, right? And and, and people complained. Yeah. People complained because that's all you can do. You can't get to the like, what? Now, now people don't even go. It's, I'm sure it's, it's hard. I'm, I haven't been to a UNLV game in a while, but I'm sure it's very hard to, for them to get a draw with all the, with, with, they, the, they've been averaging about 5,000 fans a game. Is that and, better and, or worse than what it's well, been over the years? I mean, over the last four or five years, you know, it's, it's, like it's right 2, about, it, it's about, it's, it's about five, five to 7,000 is what you'd get. Yeah. And so it's, it's been right about there, but you get games that, you know, it's, it's sparse and 
the thing about it is, even when you have five or six thousand in the Thomas and Mack Center, it can still be pretty raucous, yeah. you know, in there because uh, the way the acoustics are and everything there. But it is sad because you know people remember when that place was full. When you yeah. get eighteen, nineteen thousand, or you know, going back to uh, you know twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. I remember that game. I've told the story many times when. I came back and, you know, was getting ready to move back to Vegas and I saw the Arizona UNLV game and there was like 14,000 fans in there. They haven't had 14,000 fans in that building probably since then. That yeah. 2000, you know, December 21st, 2014. Remember the date when they upset Air Force, uh, Arizona that was number three in the country. So, you know, it's, it, it's not where it wants to be. And fans are complaining. They say, how can you be playing on a Wednesday afternoon game? What's well, a 710 seed? Yeah, but again, they started off hot, 10-0, but they came back to the pack, very, very inconsistent. But again, we have seen seven, eight seeds in some of these early tournaments already, uh, you know, this past weekend, um, you know, punch their ticket or at least, you know, get to the finals of these conference tournaments. Maybe that could happen with UNLV. I know Rebel fans are certainly hoping so. They do not want this season to end on a... Wednesday afternoon at the Thomas and Mack Center, or you know, even on a Thursday, it'd be nice if the Rebels could get to the uh, semifinals at least of the Mountain West Conference uh, tournament. All right, I want to thank Kevin Kruger for joining us. Next hour, Trevor Match is going to join us. We'll talk a little NFL, and then uh, back to college hoops. Dan Butterly, the commissioner of the Big West Conference, they've got their tournament at the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson. Looking forward uh, to being part of that. And, of course, tonight we've got the championship game of the WCC with Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Hitting all that and more, hour number two on the way. T.C. Martin Show here on a terrible Tuesday. Get back on track. The only thing that matters is a win. That's it. However, whatever, whatever it takes. Let's go, man. Let's win on three. One, two, three, win. Live. 319. In the entertainment capital of the world. Vikings blitz. Manning got it off the rare deep throw. And maybe that's why they don't do it. Intercepted by Xavier Rhodes. It's the T.C. Martin Show. They're not used to this damn heat. They're over there trying to set up damn pits over there on the sideline. Hey, it's Ron. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Okay, I ain't going to worry about you no more. 300 yards, four touchdowns. <laughs> It's so sweet when you walk off the field knowing you gave everything you got. Team win tonight. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? Number two here on this Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Glad to have you with us. We can continue on here talking a lot of hoop here because the madness is definitely upon us. But it's never too late to talk about football. We got that, right? We know that's true. All right. Uh, join us now. Our very good friend who is uh, we're giving him a break, you know, during the offseason. But, you know, still, we can't get enough of Trevor Maddich. For we got Trevor isms and you know all those things we just we just can't stay away from. So why not bring Trevor Maddich in? Since today is the franchise tag day, we'll dig into that. The NFL Combine and uh, why not a little March Madness with Trevor Maddich? What's going on, brother? Mister TC, I am doing great. Although I'm I'm recovering from BYU losing to St. Mary's in the West 
Coast Conference <laughs> tournament. Oh, they, they went down by 26 points and then they yeah. came back in a furious comeback, but they just couldn't pull it off at the end. But man, that was a game. Trevor, I was there. I was amongst those, those, uh, those cougar maniacs. Uh, they were loud and proud and they had outnumbered St. Mary's from a, a fan standpoint. Uh, yeah, they were going crazy. They're going ballistic. You know, the thing was, that was a very physical game. There was, I think, four flagrant fouls in that game. I think two by each team, uh, last night. But, uh, yeah, Cougars, um, you know, couldn't pull it off. And, you know, Trevor, this is kind of a weird tournament this year because, as you know, uh, BYU is leaving the WCC. And, uh, I'm, it's just kind of a weird feeling not knowing that, you know, knowing that we're not going to see these rabid fans come to Vegas for this tournament, uh, anymore uh but uh yeah I, i'm not sure how i how i feel about them leaving the wcc because i think they added a lot to the conference it is a passionate fan base but i think from a standpoint of the city at large your alcohol sales will likely go way up yeah <laughs> this is true yeah they they weren't they weren't hovering around the bars i i, I did notice that no no question yeah they better not be anyway i think it would be a false flag it would be university of utah fans fans wearing a byu t-shirt at the bar just to make BYU look bad. That's that's what I believe. Yeah, I think we talked uh, about this before when the Notre Dame came here to play uh, BYU. Remember the Shamrock uh, game, you know, earlier this year, and you know how they do just kind of like bowl games where one half of of the building is is like the BYU side, and the other was kind of like the Notre Dame side. They said there were like no lines at the bar areas and the restaurant areas over there on the BYU side <laughs> compared to the Notre Dame side. Notre Dame side, they said it was ridiculous. Notre Dame fans were telling me that they walked all the way around the stadium so they could get their beer uh, without any weight whatsoever. And Notre Dame won that game, right? They did. They did. So what does that tell you about the relationship to, from adult beverages to winning football games? If they go I hand in hand, it sounds like to me. Yeah, I think it's yeah, go- <laughs> I, I hope it's not that way in the Big 12 because that's where BYU is playing next year. So, How do you feel about them going to the Big 12? Because, I mean, obviously from a football standpoint, it, it's great. But I think from a basketball standpoint uh, as well, I mean, it's a, it's a big win for them as in, in football. I mean, they were an independent before. I don't know how you feel about it, Trevor, but it just didn't seem like it really worked out the way they thought it was going to work out. It is, uh, well, it, being independent, though, really helped BYU because they were able to play teams that they never would have been able to play all over the country. I mean, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, you know, you go play teams in Florida. There's just out to Virginia, and it got the BYU brand out in front of people that wouldn't have been able to see it necessarily face-to-face, and that's important because of the LDS connection as much as anything else. I mean, if the best if the best LDS football players coming out of high school went to BYU, BYU would be a top six or seven team every year, uh, certainly a top ten team every year. But they don't really know BYU. They didn't in the past until BYU became independent and were able to go out and meet some of these guys um, because some of them just didn't give BYU a chance of recruiting because they were being recruited by Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State, and they didn't make it that far out west. So it helped BYU from a recruiting standpoint to get out there. And some of those teams that they played, they beat. I mean, they um, they knocked off Wisconsin at Wisconsin. They knocked off the mighty Oklahoma Sooners in uh, Arlington, Texas, in a season opener. It was just a brutally physical game, and BYU beat the mighty Sooners at their own game. Uh, I mean, these, these clean-cut, married 
return missionaries went down there and and won an alley fight with the mighty Oklahoma Sooners. It was just it was fantastic to watch if you're a BYU fan, and it was uh, and so these things I think helped solidify BYU as a worthy candidate for a higher level of competition than the group of five, not to disparage the group of five. The thing is though, their schedule, goodness gracious, is their schedule going to be, is going to be brutal. Um, I mean, they're at Arkansas, at Kansas, who's resurgent. They have Cincinnati at TCU, you know, at Texas with either Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning at quarterback, for goodness sake, you know, they've got to play uh, Iowa state and Oklahoma in Provo. You know, it's, it's, it's a brutal schedule. But as long as BYU is able to to stay relatively healthy, they should be relatively competitive this first year, and then we'll see what it does for recruiting going forward. Speaking like a true BYU alum, there you go, Trevor Maddich, uh, national championship, Trevor Maddich for the BYU team. What nineteen eighty four. Right. Yeah, that was back before I was born. TC, I, I don't even remember playing in that game, but they told me I did. Uh, you did, yeah. We, we, there, there's video of it. We've we've seen it, my my friend. Yeah, I, I know you have. Yep. The NFL Combine uh, just concluded. Uh, did you get a chance to watch much of that? Are you into the Combine? Yeah, I got to see. I got to see some of that. I was looking for specific players. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't that I was looking at the whole thing and grading all 319 of them, but there were certain guys that I was looking at that I kind of wanted to see how they performed. Guys that I, I thought uh, would either confirm what I thought about them from college uh, or either rise or fall. And so I, I, I found guys like that uh, and on the, all three of those levels in watching the, the combine the way I did. How necessary is it for players to go to the combine, and the reason why I ask is because we hear a lot of players say, "Well, nah, I, I don't, I don't, you know, my stock is is perfect where it is right now. I don't want my stock to drop, or maybe like, if you're a quarterback, well, I really don't need to throw. I'll do my pro day. How important is it for these players to go? Well, for some of them, it's critical. For others, not so much. I mean, when you look at Bryce Young, for example, quarterback for Alabama. What he put on tape the last two years, winning the Heisman Trophy two years ago, and probably even playing better this last year, although his stats weren't as good, that's because of the team around him. The, what he did on tape was unimpeachable. And throwing at the combine, or even his pro day, really wouldn't, wouldn't do much, I think. What he needed to show was that he gained a little bit of weight, and he did. He came in at uh, 5'10 and an 8, so he's over 5'10, yay, and 204 pounds. And as long as people thought he would come in under 200 pounds, I think he played under 200 pounds at Alabama, but he picked up some weight, so that's good. And he got to do the medicals where the, the, the team physicians and trainers were able to kind of look at him, look at his hips. He's kind of a slight guy. He's not real solidly built, but he was able to stand up to the SEC quite well for two years, although he did miss some time last year. That was really more, again, the people around him than it was him being injury prone. But he didn't need to throw. He didn't. A guy who did need to throw was Will Levis out of Kentucky. Because Levis is built like a brick house, man. He's just chiseled out of granite. He's tall. He's thick. He's athletic. He's got a rocket for an arm. Problem is, last year his production went way down from the standpoint of accuracy and effectiveness. Way, way down. So the question is, is that because his his year two years ago, uh, was sort of an anomaly with those NFL players that were around him, uh, or 
was was is he really just not that accurate? And so his being able to to do two things at this combine were important to him. One was the interview process, where he could convince NFL coaches that he's got a feel and an understanding for defensive concepts, offensive concepts too, but especially defensive concepts. A lot of quarterbacks come out of college don't have much of an idea what defenses are doing, and that means the learning curve is going to be far steeper in the NFL. The other thing that Will Levis of Kentucky quarterback needed to show in this combine was more precision and consistency with his accuracy. Well, I don't know what happened in the meetings, but I do know that he didn't throw all that well. He showed a really strong arm, yay, but he was he was sporadic with his accuracy. So he didn't help himself from that standpoint. Now, had he not come to the to the combine to throw, let's say he didn't throw this pro day either, the NFL scouts would be left to wonder if the fact that his performance diminished so much this past season was really truly a matter of the people around him or if he was at fault also because he didn't do enough to elevate the performance of the people around him. He needed the combine to show that it really was the people around him, and I don't think he showed it very well. Bryce Young... Seems to be the top quarterback. Then there's C.J. Stroud, and you mentioned Will Levis. Talk a little bit about Young and Stroud. Do you think that even one of these guys could, I don't want to say the word surefire, but could they be quality NFL quarterbacks? Young and Stroud, Stroud, I think, has the best chance to to have a strong career, a long-term strong career. I mean, he was lights out on his accuracy, one of the most accurate consistently accurate performances at the combine that we've seen in several years. Part of that too, he was throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is uh, a guy that he's thrown to a lot at Ohio state on his past season, not so much because Njigba was, was injured, but you know, he, he had a little bit of familiarity with that receiver. So that, that helped him, but he's got the size and the accuracy and enough mobility to, if his temperament is okay, he should be able to, to transition to the NFL pretty well. Bryce Young has a chance to be a phenomenal NFL quarterback, but it's the size issue and it's the, the health issue. Tua Tango-Vailoa, former Alabama quarterback who's now with the Miami Dolphins, is actually thicker in his body than Bryce Young, but Tango-Vailoa has a knack for falling in a way that he falls onto his back with the back of his head smashing into the ground a lot. And he's suffered a number of concussions now with the Dolphins, and that has put his career in jeopardy. And so uh, you look at other smaller quarterbacks and how have they done. Kyler Murray, you know, his size I don't think is what holds him back. And so you can you can say, you know, Drew Brees is a lot is taller than Bryce Young, but but Drew Brees also was small relative to other quarterbacks, and his size didn't hold him back. I think Bryce Young has shown in the SEC that he's able to find those gaps between the big giant linemen and anticipation of throwing downfield and the vision to be able to know what's happening down there, even though he's only five ten and an eight. That that shouldn't hold back NFL teams from drafting him high. The only question for Bryce Young is do they believe that he can stay healthy at the NFL level? And I would suggest this. We talked about Will Levis of Kentucky. I don't think Will Levis did enough this last year to elevate 
um, a group of players around him that weren't as good as they were the year before. Bryce Young was the opposite. Bryce Young had a group of players, especially at receiver, that were not nearly as good as they were the year before when he won the Heisman, and he elevated that team anyway. I mean, Alabama lost two games, both of them on walk-off plays at the end of the game at LSU, at Tennessee, and neither one of them was Bryce Young's fault. If it weren't for Bryce Young, they wouldn't have been even that close. And so, you know, I think think Bryce Young um, has a chance to be a very good quarterback if he can stay healthy. Uh, Trevor Mass joins us talking about the NFL scouting combine just uh, concluded. Who who shot their way up the draft board, regardless of position? Give give us a, a guy or two that they really maybe turned some heads. Okay, so you want to talk about Anthony Richardson at some point down the road, or uh... do we? I mean, you and I we we don't like Anthony Richardson, and I'm tired of, of like even Raider fans thinking like, oh, Anthony Richardson, he could be a good one. Have you watched the guy play? Forget about it. I mean, I'm a Bryce Young guy, C.J. Stroud, okay, Will Levis, no guy got sacked too many times. I understand offensive line, this and that, but come on, you 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 know to play in this league, you're gonna have to be special. Like I want that special guy. Is Anthony Richardson special, Trevor Maddich? No, right. No, uh, Anthony Richardson. He's Are you going to tell me? Do you have something to tell me here? Am I missing yeah, something? I do. What happened here? He, you brought Anthony Richardson up, so you must have some breaking news. Well, he's being linked to the Raiders at number seven. Oh, come on, come on. Uh, I mean, I mean, does your does your intel, does your does your matahari of of football? inside the Raiders organization tell you that they're interested? I mean, what do you know? Well, everything is quiet on the Western front. I think, wasn't that part of a movie? Wasn't a movie, you know, back in, you know, your day? I don't know. But uh, no, stay away from from the quarterbacks, Trevor. The Raiders need to stay away from the quarterback and get yourself something that you need, either on the O-line or or on defense at number seven. Please do that if you're the Raiders, not a project like Anthony Richardson, and you're probably better suited for taking Jared Stidham. You got him here. Let him go. Go with Stidham. Build around him. Now, now you, uh, you laid it out the way I see it. But for people who still aren't convinced, Anthony Richardson, you know, he came in at 244 pounds as a quarterback. He ran a 4-4-3-40. His broad jump and his vertical were off the charts. He showed amazing arm strength and throwing, and he's got scouts salivating about his potential upside. He probably has the, the highest upside of any of the quarterbacks in his draft if he hits on all cylinders and he fixes some of his deficiencies. The problem is, he still didn't throw very well. That's that's he what I was going to ask you right there. I mean, you can say the all the bounds. Yeah, come on. Come <laughs> at the combine, he's throwing the ball out of bounds. Come on. And then, yeah, no. And then when you look at um, how he performed, he had some really big games, 400-yard passing games in Florida. We had a whole bunch of them that were under 200. You know, he was he was like 150 yards passing against USF. I mean, he... Uh, he, there's just all kinds of, of inconsistency, and he's got a very strong arm. I would take Anthony Richardson in the first round under one condition, and that is if they bring him in considering that he will be their backup quarterback for the foreseeable future and then use him like the Saints use Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, the Saints have, he's their backup. He's not their starter. They don't want him to be the starter. He's not that guy. But while when he's not working at quarterback, they put him in at H-back and fullback and wide receiver and special teams. And you've got sub-packages on short yards and goal line at quarterback. And 
that's the kind of thing that Anthony Richardson should be able to do at an extraordinarily high level because of his physical traits. Then he would be a first-round talent from the standpoint of elevating the production on the team if they used him that way, if he was able to pick up all those positions, and then let him develop as a quarterback. And if he turns out in a couple, three years that he's got all those deficiencies fixed, then make him a quarterback full-time and you got to steal. But if he doesn't, keep using him as Taysom Hill and he still makes your team better. Now, Raiders, though. Raiders. Okay, Raiders. Yes. The most intriguing thing for the Raiders at number seven right now is Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Carter. Do you want to remind people the story of Carter and what happened? Or do you want me to tell them? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, we talked about it last okay. week. Fire away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, he got in trouble. He Apparently, shortly after the Georgia – um, national championship victory parade. He was, according to police, drag racing with another vehicle that had some Georgia personnel and players and stuff being driven by a, a, one of the scouting department. And that scouting department person, uh, according to police, had a blood alcohol level over twice the legal limit. That vehicle crashed and killed two people, the driver and then one of the Georgia players. Jalen Carter, according to police, was in the area drag racing with them. And he now is associated with the ugliness of two young people having their life snuffed out in a moment of, of very poor decision-making. But he's been charged with misdemeanors, as far as I know. Right. And if he's not looking at jail time or any, any long jail time, then the cold hard calculation for the Raiders would be, okay, this guy's going to deal with his, his legal stuff. He'll pay society. He's not going to go to jail, or at least not for any length that'll, that'll affect what he's doing with us. And then they have an absolute game wrecker on the interior defensive line, which the Raiders need. The Raiders game wrecker. They could use someone that could, that could, you know, blow a hot breath on a mirror. You know, they need to stop the run. They need more interior pressure from that defensive front. And Carter is one of those guys that has the talent to be taken in the top three picks. And if this legal situation drops him to number seven, then the Raiders would have to decide if they are willing to take the risk that the legal situation will be relatively minor for Carter, even though the association is ugly, even though Drag racing at all, even if nobody was hurt, in my opinion, is a horrifically bad thing to do because of the the potential for somebody to be struck and killed. Forget the people that you're, don't forget, including the people that you are drag racing with, but also people that are just driving home from Waffle House at 2 in the morning that might get caught up in it, right? So I'm not in any way suggesting that because they're misdemeanors, that the decision to drag race, if that is in fact what happened, is in any way diminished. That is an incredibly dangerous thing to do that can lead to death of innocent people, right? And especially with the Raiders, because their their receiver from Alabama, what happened to him um, when he crashed his Corvette uh, a couple of years ago, and, you know, I think he's been in prison for a while for that. That was a terrible, tragic thing. Well, that's if why... the Raiders decide to get past that, and if they see that the information was that Carter made a bad decision, but he's not a bad guy, he doesn't do this a lot, and uh, and they can live with that, then that is an intriguing pick for them. 
And here's the thing, though. That and the Henry Rugg situation is still fresh on everyone's mind here in Las Vegas. And now if you're going to select a guy like that in the same type of scenario, drag racing, leading to to killing someone, I, I, I think that that's such a slippery slope, that a PR disaster that you don't want to touch that. And I get it. It's like, oh, he could be a game wrecker. He could be a game changer. We get that. But hey, we've heard that before. We've seen college game wreckers and game changers not uh, that have a a clean history, a clean slate that haven't amounted to anything in the NFL. So I think, you know, for the Raiders, you got to be very, very careful uh, about even contemplating selecting a guy like Jalen Carter, because that story is, is horrible. And, and to me, Trevor, I don't understand how you kill two people and you're going to be charged with misdemeanors. I mean, that's, well, he didn't kill I know, I know, but he was, a, he was involved in the situation where, you know, uh, you know, it, it, in the area or whatever you want to say. So I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, but had it not been for rugs though, had that not happened, would you consider Carter? Possibly. I would need to do a great, uh, character check on him. Have, you know, he needs to sit down with the Raiders brass and they need to do a deep dive into, into him and really scrub everything away and see what kind of guy this, this, this kid is. You know what I'm saying? You know, are you remorseful? Have you, you know, can any of this happen? I mean, again, uh, we've seen it with these, Kids, you know, come from smaller communities, you know, down in the south. They come here to Las Vegas. They can't handle it. I mean, again, you know, Ruggs is the only one. I mean, we've seen, you know, several, several others, uh, exact same situation that come out here and, you know, Damon Arnett. I mean, he's, he's, he's wielding a gun, you know, at, uh, at valet people and doing all kinds of other nonsense. We see guys going to clubs and falling asleep at the wheel afterwards. I mean, it's just, you know, a lot of these guys, they think it's Disneyland over here and they don't get it. Uh, so very careful. I mean, you got to just do a, a deep dive character check into these guys. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, I, you're right about that. That's why I say it's an intriguing thing. Cause if that deep dive character check turns out that he made a mistake in the euphoria of winning that second national championship and, and he did a stupid thing. Um, but his role in the stupid thing, you know, didn't rise to the level of killing those people. This is what they would have to decide. Some NFL team is going to have to decide that yeah. no matter where they're taken. Right. You know, I, I, there, some NFL team is going to have to decide that because if, if, you know, but if that character check comes back that this was a one-time thing that ended up being part of a horrific result, then he would be an intriguing player the farther down he falls in the draft. And that's all I'm saying. Right. You know me. I mean, I don't even drink, right? So I'm not, I, I'm never one to excuse bad behavior. But at the same time, I think that we need to take bad behavior as either a one-off or as a character trait. And there are one-offs that disqualify you. You could be the best dude in the world and you could do a one-off bad mistake that disqualifies you from everything. But that's what any team that drafts Jalen Carter will need to decide. What is this from his perspective? All right. Two more things I want to hit uh, with you real quick before we let you go. Derek Carr signs with the Saints for your deal, 150 million, 100 million guaranteed. Uh, what does this mean for Carr? What does this mean for the Saints? You mentioned Taysom Hill a little bit earlier. We know that, uh, 
you know, he is still there. Uh, Jameis Winston will probably be let go. Andy Dalton started 14 games. A lot of people forget that. Andy Dalton started 14 games uh, for the Saints last year. He's a free agent, so he's not going to be around. What do you think of Carr and the Saints? For Carr, it's phenomenal. I mean, for Carr, he went through a – he's an emotional guy. Raiders fans have seen him in local press conferences there, you know, wear his heart on his sleeve, come to tears at times. And for him to go through what he went through, being released, whether or not he should have been is not really relevant. I'm talking about for the individual to then be wanted to the degree that he signs a $160 million contract. Um, that's a, that's almost whiplash. And so I'm very happy for Derek Carr. Is he a guy that could take the Saints to the promised land? I don't know. He never took the Raiders to the promised land. Uh, but then again, the Raiders, you know, didn't, didn't, support him as well as I think he would have wanted to have been supported. So he'll have a chance to start over again, and we will know about Derek Carr coming up pretty quickly. The thing is, though, for the Saints, I think it's a it's a bit of a stretch to make that big of a commitment to him. But I think the Saints were worried that they were in a quarterback wasteland, and they were. When Drew Brees left, now you got Jameis Winston, uh, you know, Taysom Hill, not that guy. Andy Dalton, serviceable backup, serviceable guy, not a promised land kind of guy. And they don't even know if they're in a coaching wasteland. I mean, Sean Payton's gone, and, you know, with the quarterback problems and other problems, they don't even know uh, whether they'll be able to, to overcome that loss. And so the Saints, to hit their wagon to the degree of $160 million, uh, I would want to see the, the details of the contract. Do you know how much of that's guaranteed? Yeah, sixty million uh, fully guaranteed at signing, and another ten million uh, in the, when he starts year three of the deal. So yeah, he can earn sixty million the first two years of the deal. So yeah, that's that's not that's not prohibitive. So so for the Saints, it's it's not as bad as I thought it was then, because that's not a whole lot of guaranteed money when you when you're talking about quarterbacks. So, yeah. uh, but we'll see. You know, they hope they're out of the quarterback wasteland. We'll, we'll see if they are. The Raiders felt they were in the quarterback wasteland with Derek Carr. All right. Lamar Jackson, uh, again, didn't want to be tagged, going to get, get tagged, non-exclusive exclusive tag, which means he can negotiate with any NFL team right now. Uh, Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent, doesn't want an agent, wants to handle it himself. I don't know. Uh, what do you think of, of Lamar Jackson moving forward? Um, where does he go? What does he do? Uh, is this the right move for the Ravens? The Ravens are saying, Hey, we want to move forward with him. He's our guy. We'd like to do a long-term deal, but I mean, is this just for show Trevor? Or do they really want this guy or not? Well, I think they want him, but obviously price matters. I mean, when you look at context, MVP, what was it? Four years ago, Lamar Jackson was of the NFL. Yeah. Uh, but from a standpoint of receiver and running backs because of injury and other issues, they, they've not surrounded him with, with the talent that they need to, and he's fallen off. He's only appeared in 12 games each of the last two seasons, so he's been injured, especially down the stretch this last year when they needed him most. And there's a real problem with that. Lamar Jackson thinks that that's just sort of a one-off and he should get paid, but from a standpoint of the of the Ravens, look at it this way. When Lamar Jackson first came into the league, he was so shifty that it was hard to hit him fast, or excuse me, hit him hard. You had to slow down because if you came in like a locomotive, he was just going to juke you and leave you in the dirt while he's running down the field. Compare that to a guy like RG3, for example, when he was playing a few years ago. RG3 had Olympic caliber speed in a straight line, but he wasn't very shifty. So if you could catch him, you could hit him hard. Well, all of a sudden now, Lamar Jackson is getting hit 
harder. Physically, he's being attrited. So if you're the if you're the Ravens and you don't think he's worth the guarantees he's looking for, and apparently he wants full guarantee like Deshaun Watson, right? In, in Cleveland, that's going to wreck a lot of negotiations. If you're if you're the Ravens, then the best thing you can do is put this tag on him that allows him to negotiate with other teams and gives the Ravens the chance to match any offers. And if he goes, they get two first round draft choices. If they don't want to match the offer, that will tell Lamar Jackson what his market value really is. And it will give two first rounders to the Ravens. If he ends up leaving, my opinion is that Lamar's better tread lightly here. You know, he's worth a lot of money, but if he starts asking for too much, He's going to find himself in a situation where he, he's he's not going to get what he wants, and he's going to end up incredibly disappointed. All right, Trev, appreciate the time as always, uh, my friend. We'll keep an eye on uh, things in the NFL side, the college football side. Uh, enjoy the rest of your off season, my friend, and uh, have yourself a, a fantastic week. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, TC. All right, brother. There you go, Trevor. Match the best, simply the best, no doubt about it. Just fantastic uh, what uh, what he brings to the table uh, with that knowledge. And again, 15-time Emmy Award winner. Does a great job with ESPN on the college football side. And of course, played 12 years in the NFL as well. All right, as we know, March Madness, uh, we got a championship game coming your way tonight at the Orleans between Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Tomorrow, we already talked to Kevin Kruger regarding the Rebels. Mount West gets underway. And also tonight at the Dollar Loan Center, it's their second year, the Big West Conference. Uh, they get underway with UC Irvine and Santa Barbara, uh, Long Beach, uh, just to name a few. So looking forward to that. The commissioner, Dan Butterly, is going to talk to us next. What's up, y'all? This is Sinbad. You checking my boy T.C. Mark talking about what's happening. One, two, three, four. Ah, uh, we're getting up and we're getting ready for the Big West Championships starting tonight. Looking forward to that. The men's and the women's at the Dollar Loan Center and the Big West in their second year at the Dollar Loan Center. Uh, great tournament last year. Uh, very proud to be a part of that. Uh, doing the national radio side uh, with that. Myself and the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, will be on the calls uh, starting tonight. And uh, a very balanced uh, conference this year as well too and uh, he joined us before last year so we had to have him back on again because he's fantastic on the air and uh, full of energy he's my man Dan Butterly the commissioner of the Big West uh, Dan what's going on my friend what's up TC you're at the the big man and Bill Cartwright calling the game tonight so excited <laughs> to have you over here uh, obviously uh, we've already started the, the women's side has started this afternoon and uh, already getting better crowds than we did last year. So we are excited to be back in Henderson at the Dollar Loan Center. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, like we said, it is the second year. And talk to us about just from a, a standpoint with the conference, uh, uh, Dan, what you learned from year one to year two as you get ready for uh, this go-around this season. I think what, a lot of things we learned, obviously, is Henderson's a great community. I mean, I think our fans and our teams and our, our, our administrators really fell in love with Henderson. And Henderson fell in love with the Big West Basketball Championships, uh, which we're really excited about. We actually were uh, reevaluated our ticket pricing and actually, strangely enough, actually brought down our ticket prices to try to encourage more people to attend. And actually, Tuesday through Thursday uh, this week, we're offering free parking over here at the Dollar Loan Center. So we're doing what we want to do, what we can do, and what we need to do to, to encourage fans to get over here and see some amazing Big West basketball. I mean, as you said, highly competitive this year. Uh, a lot of our men's games throughout the season and conference play came down to the final shot. And I'm anticipating that's going to happen here during the next few days. 
All right. So when you talk about uh, year number one, uh, going back to last year, uh, you know, anytime you go into a new building or or a new city, even though you guys had been in Vegas before, but a little bit different, you know, uh, getting acclimated. And what I enjoyed about that, you know, last year was uh, the fans are right there. It was very comfortable. And remember, that was the very first event that the Dollar Loan Center ever hosted was the Big West Tournament last year. So I uh, felt pretty good and pretty proud about that. So just, go, you know, again, talk about, you know, uh, year number one to where year number two, not just from a ticket sales standpoint, but just other things that will be going on associated with the tournament. Well, I think a lot of things we learned last year, we were so worried about getting in the facility, making sure the lights turned on, the scoreboards worked, and the court was put in. Uh, this year, we didn't have to worry about that. The great thing about this facility is all the events they've got going on, including the G League Ignite team. So they've run a lot of basketball since then, and they've really learned how to engage with fans, how to raise the uh, raise the roof in many ways relative to promotions and engagement with fans from the you know guest services upon coming into the building all the way to the encore promotions that we've got and the video boards and everything like that. So really the experience uh, beyond the basketball has greatly improved here in the second year. What approach, Dan, have you guys taken to really encompass the Henderson community? Because there are so many people out there in Henderson that now you have an arena there. It's like, wow, now we don't have to drive to the strip or you know deal with all of that stuff, that we got concerts and now we got sporting events that are in our backyard. How have you gone about making it aware to those residents in Henderson that like, hey, come out here, this is happening? We've done a lot of different things uh, promotionally in Henderson. Henderson's embraced the championship of the city as well. We've got street side banners that they put up, you know, proud host city of the Big West Basketball Championships. And we're also a member of the Henderson Chamber of Commerce, the Big West Conferences. So I don't think any other conference uh, that's playing out here can say they're a proud member of the Chamber of Commerce. And we are uh, because we want to embrace the city. We said there's a lot of championships in Las Vegas, but this is Henderson's championship. Uh, We really wanted to embrace this city as much as they've embraced us. Uh, and we're looking forward to the week ahead. And then now that people are comfortable and knowing that the Dollar Loan Center is an arena versus just a retail outlet, uh, last year a lot of people got confused on that. Uh, now that they know that the arena is, is up and running and in existence, they're they're going to start coming in. And as we know, Dan, you and I are both food guys. Uh, great food out there at the Dollar Loan Center as well, too. Hopefully you got you got a chance to dive into to some, some food here early on there. Absolutely. You know, the, one of the great things about Henderson, too, is all the great restaurants yep. in town, the district, and even the old part, old town. Uh, we've got some, definitely the Big West staff has some favorites here in town. But, yeah, the, Levy and the great food that they've got here, some unique food that they've got here in the Dollar Loan Center, and they make it easy uh, to not have to wait in line very long to get your food as well. So uh, just so much stuff. A lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, throughout the, the region how great of a town Henderson is, how great the city is. Uh, they think Las Vegas, they think the Strip but they don't see uh, the city of Henderson uh, as part of a great opportunity, a great a distinct uh, opportunities that are here. The Big West uh, Championships uh, on display here this week. The championship games will be on Saturday, uh, semifinals on Friday, and uh, tonight the opening round, uh, the women going on as we speak right now, and then two men's games tonight at 6 and 8.30. Get out to the Dollar Loan Center, get tickets. Very, very affordable. Uh, speaking of the men's side, Dan, the tournament, I would say, is pretty wide open. You could really make a case for maybe teams one through seven that have a legitimate shot of cutting down the nets on Saturday night and advancing to the NCAA tournament. What are your thoughts? 100% agree with you, TC. I mean, literally, we had UC Davis played Long Beach State on Saturday for the 6-7 seed 
position and literally went two, two overtimes, a three-hour game. That's how much they wanted to get that. 93-92 the final, <laughs> and the Aggies got the, the job over the beach. Yeah, Absolutely, and that, that put the, uh, the beach into the seventh-place game, and then they're playing tonight here. But Dan Munson, obviously a fantastic coach uh, there at Long Beach State, uh, won the regular season last year, was in the championship game, and I, even as the seventh seed, he's got the team that can get him to the championship game again. But you look at anything, one through seven, even one through eight, uh, have some amazing student-athletes, some great coaching uh, going on. I think any of those any of those teams, uh, not to downgrade the, the lower two teams, but when you got to win four to win the championship, it's a lot different than winning three. And I just think we're so top-heavy. Right now we have seven of our teams are ranked in the top 150 and the net rankings for the first time in Big West history. We are improving. We are getting better, and you can definitely see by the competition. Most of our games came, to a, came down to a last-second play during regular season play, and I see that happening here. Who do you think the favorite is, Dan? Well, UC Irvine and, and UC, uh, UC Santa Barbara are the top two. They won the regular season title on the men's side, but I would tell you, look out for Riverside. UC Riverside and Cal State Fullerton, those two teams were probably the top, uh, the hottest teams coming into the tournament uh, this year uh, as the three and four seeds. So I think those two teams could really get, do some damage against uh, UC Irvine and UC Santa Barbara. And uh, Fullerton ended up winning the tournament uh, last year, went to the NCAA uh, tournament. So... Uh, always, always exciting time, especially when you know you're like a one bid league for the most part, and so there's so much emphasis and the intensity is is there. Uh, when the you know again, the winner of the tournament basically is is the only team that's probably going to get in there, right? Well, TC, you're spot on. I mean, the SEC tagline is it just means more. This tournament means more than any other conference tournament in the Las Vegas Valley this week. Because we know that whoever wins our tournament gets the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, and that we know that that's the only bid the Big West will get on the men's and women's basketball side. So it means so much for these teams, not only to win the Big West title, but to guarantee that slot in the NCAA tournament. That's why this just means so much more than any of the tournament itself. Dan, what are the plans, or what are you doing right now to get the Big West on a on a larger platform, you know, a TV contract? Because as we know, I mean, the way the college sports is. You really need to have that TV deal to get the eyeballs on this conference. And we know that's always, it's always tough because there's a lot of competition out there with uh, the different conferences and the different networks. What is the Big West plan right now? Well, right now, the one good thing we've got going is we're starting to improve at the right time. We've gone from the 22nd ranked league just three years ago to the 15th ranked league uh, this year currently. So we're improving. Uh, like I said, seven of our top uh, seven, our, our top seven teams were ranked in the top 150 in the net rankings for the first time ever. Uh, it's a good time to start getting and getting that improvement going. Uh, we're fortunate to have a great partnership with ESPN on the ESPN and ESPN Plus platforms, and obviously with conference realignment potentially coming around the nation, uh, you know we're in a really good spot in the Big West, a very solid, stable conference. Uh, that can control the West coming up here very soon. Speaking of realignment, I mean, we're, we're seeing it at the highest level, you know, with UCLA and USC going, you know, leaving the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten. And we've seen the same thing with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. Uh, where, where is realignment or is that on the radar or what are your plans with that? Or either realignment or, or expansion? Well, the Big West is very solid. I've got uh, 11 institutions that are very much committed to each other. They're committed to the new Division One standards uh, that are being put forth. And we're in a good position that I don't think our institutions are looking to leave and go to other conferences at this point. I've got great relationships with each of our schools. Uh, but we've also got a lot of schools that want in the Big West. They see where we're going, how we're improving, and how we're shaking up the dynamic, uh, particularly in the college basketball and other sports in the West. I mean, the, the Big West is four-time national champions in men's volleyball. 
44 years consecutively. So we've got other sports that we're very, very good at, a very comprehensive conference. So we're at a, we're coming uh, on strong at the right time with all the stuff that's happening. I can definitely see a realignment happening uh, a little bit out west. I could see a couple conferences, two or three conferences, uh, that could have some realignment. And it's not only going to be just the west, it's going to be throughout the nation as rumbles through these new D1 trails. Uh, new D1 requirements are going to hit across the country. And who knows what's going to happen with the NCAA's request of Congress or the legal cases that are in front of the NCAA as well could shake up Division One. So a lot of things still to come. And as I keep telling our members, the next 18 to 24 months will tell the tale of the NCAA moving forward. We know that the Big West is is not uh, really full of, of football schools, it, and, and we know that you got UC Davis, you know, in there, and you know Davis uh, has, a, has always had a, a very good football program. What about you know? I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm going to throw my alma mater out there. Why would why wouldn't Sac State be a good fit for the Big West or other schools, or or do you just kind of shy away from those schools that maybe have a football program since there are so many that don't have football? We've got three schools that have football in the Big West. Obviously, Cal Poly and, and you said UC Davis on the FCS level, and the University of Hawaii plays football in the Mountain West, but plays all their other sports in the Big West. Uh, so, obviously, any institution that has football is not, you know, not looked at negatively right. in that respect. Most of our schools are focused on uh, the comprehensive program versus just you know football specific in that regard. So, it, anybody that had interest in the Big West and they had football, obviously, we'd, we'd look at that. We take that into consideration, but. It's not a negative at all. I mean, it provides other opportunities for student-athletes within their athletic program at football. Great example that you uh, put there with Hawaii because, uh, you know, we know that uh, Hawaii's had uh, a, a very good football program, uh, you know, over the years. And, of course, Mountain West uh, uh, fans and UNLV, they, they, they see plenty of Hawaii year in and uh, year out. Um, you have 11 teams right now. I know you just added San Diego a couple years ago. Are you looking for a 12th? Does that make sense for you? Do you want that even number? We, I talk to my board of directors pretty frequently, and we have meetings every couple of months via Zoom or in person. Um, you know, we talk about national realignment and things that could happen. Right now, our membership uh, feels very comfortable at 11. It doesn't mean that if somebody has interest, we're not going to at least uh, look at their materials and see who might have interest right now. But our, our membership seems very comfortable being at 11. They feel very comfortable with the like-minded institutions. I mean, the one difference uh, in the Big West, we do not have private institutions. Uh, they're all 11 uh, public institutions, 10 in California, one in Hawaii, and they feel very comfortable with the alignment we have uh, right now. So not actively engaged in looking for uh, new member institutions. But uh, as I said, I've talked to a number of institutions that want in the Big West, and we'll continue to look at the national landscape and see what may work for the future of the Big West. All right, Dan Butterly joins us, the commissioner of the Big West, getting ready for the tournament, the championship tournament that starts tonight at the Dollar Loan Center. We'll conclude this weekend uh, with the championship game on Saturday, semifinals on Friday, quarters on Thursday, men and women. Uh, real quick, Dan, let me get the, your take on, I know you're a big basketball guy, uh, the current state of the NCAA tournament, where we sit right now with the 68 teams. We know we've got more parity than we've ever seen before. Uh, give us your, your thought about this 2022-23 season for the NCAA tournament that will all culminate there in Houston for the Final Four in the championship game here the 1st of April. Yeah, it's crazy to think he's going to finish in Houston. Houston's one of the top programs yep. in the country this year, so it's going to be almost a home court advantage if Houston can make it that far. Obviously, it's always a challenge trying to project things too far in advance because you never know what the matchups are going to be or what the upsets will be during conference tournament week to disrupt those seedings next week. But you don't have the normal Duke and North Carolinas 
that are dominating the top at this point. You've got, a, a, like I said, a Houston, uh, Purdue, other programs that have kind of risen to the top this year. I'm, I'm a big fan of Purdue and Matt Painter. I love the program that he runs. Uh, I'd love to see Purdue make it to the Final Four for Matt in many ways. I think Houston's got a phenomenal team uh, as well. And who knows what's going to happen uh, with Indiana and some of these other programs in the Big Ten or uh, the Big East and others that are very, very good. But like you said, it's very congested at the top and middle um, of these leagues. It's going to be really interesting to see how these conference tournaments unfold and who actually makes the NCAA tournament. I mean, it is 68, uh, 68 team field. We know the 32 spots go to automatic qualifiers, and I think there'll probably be uh, at least the four or eight teams that think that they should be, should have been the NCAA tournament that won't make it. Um, and maybe it could be from the league I was at previously. It's just such a tight race for those last few spots. We know that the Big West teams play a lot of uh, some some Power Five conferences in the non-conference or earlier on. Uh, give me a team or two that you've seen, uh, whether it's in person or via television, that uh, you know could make a a decent run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, in the Big West, I think you know, the, I, I, as I told the NCAA men's basketball committee uh, last week, we had a meeting with them on the Big West, and I said that the challenge, guys, you have to look at the Big West. And you have to ask yourself, which of our teams would you want to play in the NCAA tournament? And I would tell you the answer is probably none. I don't think anybody wants to play a Big West team, no matter who wins the seed, the bid coming out of the Big West, because we are we are feisty. We are going to fight to the end uh, in many ways. We've got some great talent in the Big West. We've got a lot of NBA scouts uh, coming out this week, so, you know, two to three times more than we had last year to give you a sense of how, how much the talent levels risen in the Big West. We're very guard-oriented, which makes it an exciting game. And that scares any team that you're pitted up against in the NCAA tournament. We're hoping to get a really good seed, a 13-14 seed for the Big West to be improved from what we had last year. Uh, but the committee, you know, people that we talk to tend to agree. I don't think as they uh, manage other conferences or other institutions, I don't think anybody will want to play a Big West team because we're scrappy and we're going to come out to compete. All right. He is Dan Butterly. We're looking forward to the Big West Championships. Uh, they're underway right now on the women's side, and then tonight uh, the men. Uh, so go ahead real quick, Dan, and tell our listeners uh, how they can uh, get their tickets, how they can get out there, and just uh, go over the schedule real quick here for the next few days. Absolutely. Real easy. Today's the first round. Tuesday tonight we have four men's games, or two men's games, four teams, going on this evening at the Dollar Loan Center. I encourage people to come over and see these games because they're going to be amazingly competitive. The women's uh, quarterfinals are tomorrow. Men's quarterfinals all day on Thursday. Uh, women's semifinals on Friday afternoon. Men's semifinals on Saturday night. Uh, and the two championship games, women's, women's championship game at 3 o'clock on Saturday. The men's championship game on ESPN2 at 6.30 uh, on Saturday night. Tickets are easy. Go to the AXS uh, ticketing systems. Uh, you can come right up here to the Dollar Loan Center. Uh, walk up free parking Tuesday through Thursday this week. Uh, come on over. Uh, buy an inexpensive ticket and enjoy some amazing NCAA basketball here at the Dollar Loan Center. Great stuff, uh, Dan. You're doing a great job as commissioner of the Big West. Uh, look forward to seeing you not only tonight, but uh, throughout the week as well, my friend. You got it, TC. Looking forward to hearing your call tonight, you and Bill, and looking forward to seeing you over here. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. There he is. Thanks, TC. Dan Butterly, the commissioner of the Big West. Uh, get your tickets at access.com. That's access.com for uh, the Big West. And like you said, very, very inexpensive tickets, uh, free parking at the dollar loan center in the next couple of nights. Uh, you can't beat it. And they lowered their prices to, uh, to really cater, uh, to not only the people in Henderson, but Las Vegas as well, too. Uh, they want bodies in the seats, plain simple, because I think they feel that, Hey, once you come to a game, uh, you're going to want to come back, uh, whether it's, uh, 
you know, again this year or next year, but they got themselves a, a nice uh, agreement uh, with the Dollar Loan Center and the city of Henderson uh, to come there. And uh, he is right. I mean, the Big West, I mean, if you remember going back uh, last year or two years ago, Santa Barbara uh, made it to the tournament and they nearly beat Creighton uh, in their opening round game. And we've seen those type of upsets. We saw Fullerton against Duke last year. Fullerton nearly knocked off Duke. Last year, they hung with them for a while, and then Duke kind of ran away uh, at the end. But uh, guard-oriented uh, conference, uh, you got some great coaches. Don Monson, the all-time winningest coach in Long Beach State history. Don Monson was the guy that started the program at Gonzaga, and he left to go take a job in Minnesota, which opened the door for Mark Few. And uh, then Don Monson left Minnesota and then ended up in Long Beach for the last 17 years. Oh, that guy, Mark Few, done a pretty good job, but that he just picked up where Don Monson left out. Don Monson started that Gonzaga program. Rod Barnes, who did a fantastic job at Ole Miss. Rod Barnes is the coach, uh, of the team in, um, uh, in the, the Big West as well, too. So, uh, you got some good coaches. Uh, Trent Johnson, he used to be the coach at, at Nevada, uh, and LSU and Stanford. Uh, he's coaching a team in there as well, too. So a lot of great coaches, good talent, good players. Get out there to the Dollar Loan Center and uh, check out all of the action starting tonight. All right. Uh, I want to thank Trevor Match uh, for joining us. Appreciate Trev uh, breaking it down for us, talking about the NFL Combine, talking about the uh, quarterback situation, the free agent quarterbacks uh, as well. Dan Butterly, the commissioner of the Big West. And then uh, also uh, Kevin Kruger getting ready for the Rebels game tomorrow night. Uh, or uh, tomorrow afternoon, I should say. I'm sorry. 1.30 in the afternoon as the Rebels take on Air Force. Kicking off the Mountain West Conference Tournament. All right. If you miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, go check out the show. Check out our our blogs on the front page. The breakdown, St. Mary's Gonzaga WCC Championship tonight at the Orleans. Looking forward to that as well, too. And we got plenty of college basketball hitting you all week long. Appreciate my man Nick Nice. Reunited, as Peaches and Herb once said, uh, back in, in the building here again. Appreciate that. Marky Mark. And uh, hopefully, Numbchuck, you get well soon, too. All right. Again, go to the website. Check everything out. We'll be right back at it again tomorrow at 2.